0: Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer in the Courtroom of Current Events, and we are still talking Trump here. Today, we're going to give another impeachment update. We're going to talk about which of our predictions came true or not. We're going to talk about what we think happens from now going forward, and we're also going to talk about his State of the Union address and just give an update of kind of the political climate and where we stand after these impeachment proceedings have come to a close. So, thanks for listening as always. If you want to hear anything from us or leave a review or ask a question, you can find us on all social media at Tragos Law, or you can always send me an email, petertragos at Greeklaw.com. All right, so to get back into the Trump impeachment trial. Let's start out with what has happened since we last came on the podcast, which was last week right before the Senate's questions. So, Dad, let's talk a little bit about the Senate's questions. Let's just hit the highlights. It's been a week since then. Half the people have probably forgotten about it already, but why don't we talk about what we kind of predicted and then what happened?
1: Well, just to remind everyone, the questions are submitted in writing to the uh, leadership The Republican and Democratic leadership, they pick the questions they want asked and they give them to the chief justice of the Supreme Court who's presiding over the trial. He then asks the questions to whoever they're uh, related to, which is a question either to the House uh, members who are there prosecuting the case or to the Trump defense team. And then they answer the questions based on the senator's. But we also predicted that there'd be a
0: lot of softball questions, right, and exactly. that's exactly what happened. A lot of what they categorize as friendly questions versus right. challenging. That's what they—it's friendly, open, or challenging questions. Right. So, what were the percentages like? Well, in for the Democrats, seventy-seven
1: of the questions, which is there's only nine questions that were there's about ninety total, I think. Uh, ninety was Yeah. So, yeah. seventy-seven of the ninety were friendly questions.
0: For the Republicans, it was 67 out of the approximately 90 that were friendly questions. Right. It was 80-something from the Republicans. It was, a, let me see, what is it? 78, 86. So 67 of the 86 Republican questions were softballs and 77 of the 90. So the great majority of both questions, meaning when a question was asked to the president, it was a question that was going to help them bolster their case. When a question was asked to the, to the House, it was a question that was going to help them bolster their case. And that's exactly kind of what you predicted last time when we were talking about it. And that's just kind of what the Senate questions are used for in this process.
1: And it really became boring because really what it was, was giving both sides the opportunity to repeat the same oh, arguments. That's all it was, was they repetition. They made at the same time, say, saying, well, what do you think of this? And, and you know, plus, uh, another thing which is kind of crazy when people think about trials is the jurors, I'll bet you dollars to donuts— that there was a coordination in those friendly questions between, for instance, the Republicans. I guarantee you the White House attorneys, the White House attorneys knew what the questions were going to be for the Republicans. And when the Democrats well, sure, asked questions, sure. the House managers knew what the well, questions were. Well, so much of them were about.
0: also just like talk more about what you talked about in the opening argument on this point. Do you think there's enough evidence in the case to convict? You know, I mean, those were the types of questions they were asking. And it was like, no, I don't think there's enough evidence. Yes, I think there's plenty of evidence to convict. So I mean, that those were the types of questions that were asked. Did anything stick out to you as a highlight from the questions?
1: There were some. Uh, One was, I think, the Romney analogy question, where uh, I believe it was Ted Cruz and uh, Senator Graham asked the question, uh, if Mitt Romney's son had gotten a job. If Mitt Romney had been elected president and his son had gotten the job with some company and was paid a million dollars a year, would you think that that was enough for someone to open a criminal investigation or some type of a corruption investigation? And, of course, the answer they were looking for was yes. It was a softball question to the White House. That really stuck out that they would use Senator Romney as an example who was sitting right there And as we'll get to it, Senator Romney becomes a real uh, highlight of what's going to happen in this case.
0: Anything else from the questions? Because most of what I saw was just basically repetition from the arguments, um, some people pounding their fists, basically reiterating other things they talked about. When did you find out about the Bolton transcripts? They asked both sides, um, what did you know about it beforehand? Do you think there's enough evidence in this case without calling extra witnesses? Because before or during the senate questions there was it was still up in the air whether or not they were going to call more witnesses and it was before that vote so a lot of the questions talked about whether they thought they needed the extra witnesses whether they thought they should have already called them but again nothing huge really stuck out to me well there were a couple things too Um, one was
1: the standard of proof okay that was an interesting argument that they had through the questions Is it beyond a reasonable doubt, like it is in a criminal case that we all recognize? Or is it whatever the Senate says it is? Now, the Trump team argued that it was beyond a reasonable doubt. That was a standard of proof. But most of the experts say it's whatever the Senate says it is because it's not in the Constitution. That was an interesting argument. Another interesting argument was dealing in self-interest. They asked more questions about the issue of can you have a quid pro quo is a quid and it's still pro quo legitimate always wrong right right and um, so they talked about multiple can you have multiple reasons for your actions in other words can it help your campaign but also help the country does that mean it's wrong if right. it helps the country and and they gave examples where those senators in that room do it all the time they help their own self interest in getting reelected but they also passed a bill that helps the cigar industry in Tampa for instance right so that helps the country. it helps their constituents, but it also helps them get reelected.
0: Right. And they talked they used Israel in one of the analogies and they used anti-terrorism in one of the analogies. if you can do a quid pro quo that's going to limit terrorism, but also helps your you get reelected or something, is that okay? And I think the answer was basically those quid pro quos are okay. They mentioned Lincoln for one right. I can't remember them okay. all specifically, but they basically were saying, yes, that's okay as long as the quid pro quo helps the country, I guess, was their their point. And another area they talked about was uh, Senator
1: Harris asked a question of the House managers about if we don't uh, convict Trump, has the Senate done away with any authority or any credibility that they have? And it was kind of a scare tactic saying, oh, yes, the Senate... If that happens, then there won't we won't have a judicial system. There won't be justice in this country because the Senate then has done away with their obligation. Because let's face it, in the three times they've had impeachment trials, the Senate has never impeached
0: a president. All right. So when we, if we continue on, kind of, is there anything else from the questions you want to get to? No, I, I think that
1: uh, I think that about covers it. I think people need to realize that the order of questions, who asked the questions. All that was controlled by the leaderships of both of both parties.
0: And it's very easy if you Google it, you can see every single one of the almost 200 questions that were asked right. um, that you can see the question who asked it, who answered it and what their answer was. Um, so let me see here. So next we'll get to kind of what our predictions were in the last podcast. And the two predictions we had were that no witnesses would be called and that. No conviction um, would happen for Trump for this impeachment. He wouldn't be booted out of office, basically. So when talking about our first prediction, no witnesses being called, we were right. Um, and why do you think that happened? How did that vote go? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, I think we talked about Lamar Alexander uh, last time. And in fact, he did vote with the party when it finally ended up uh, going that way. Um And so, you know, we had the majority at that point. We also talked about the fact that if there was a 50-50 vote, that the chief justice of the Supreme Court could vote. I don't know if he would, but he could vote and break the tie. But we didn't have to do that. Uh, It it came up very clear that there weren't going to be any additional witnesses. Um, Keep in mind, the House had, and turned over to the Senate, 28,000 pages of documents and testimony, They interviewed 17 witnesses. So they had, uh, they made their case. And the Senate just felt like it's just gonna be a waste of time to keep going.
0: And we're doing this podcast at about 3.30 on Wednesday, February 5th, right before the vote at four o'clock. So we're going to talk about this prediction of no conviction here. And then we're going to come back after the vote and kind of talk about our reaction to what happened to the vote all in this podcast. So you'll hear it all at once. But for right now, has your has your prediction changed whether or not they'll convict Trump? Oh, there's no doubt. I
1: think we said at the beginning, I'd love to try this case because there's no way that you're going to lose as White House counsel. They'll never get a two-thirds vote to impeach
0: the president. Do you think the fact that they didn't allow any more witnesses is indicative of that?
1: Well, I think yes, because I think they felt like they're just, even if it was all true, it still wasn't enough to impeach. A
0: and again, the Bolton stuff, as Jay Sekulow has said over and over again, is just his interpretation of what happened. It's not like he has new evidence that there is a transcript that Trump says, you better do this or else. He just says, I think it was a quid pro quo. I think he was trying to intimidate them. I think he abused his power. So it's just this guy's thoughts and feelings of his interpretation of what was going on, not actual evidence. So it's not really going to change anything, according to Sekolo.
1: And we've also heard that the House of Representatives, the Democrats, are not going to give up. And even if uh, the president is acquitted, they still say they're going to call Bolton before the committee to testify.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's something I was (laughs) going to get to. But um, let's talk real quick, because I've also read that there are some Republicans, including Mitt Romney, who say that they are going to vote to convict Trump, um, at least on the abuse of power Actually, charge. He's the only one. He's the only Republican the, so far they that has come out no, and said that.
1: The other ones have already come out and said
0: that they're going to vote to acquit. Romney is going to be the What do you think the reason sole... for that is? Why do you think that is? Why is he going to vote? Because he, he said he's not going to vote for the abuse of Congress, but he is going to vote for the abuse of power, I, obstruction of Congress. I, you
1: know, I don't know. I, I can't, I, I'm very disappointed because, frankly, uh, when he ran for president, I thought he was a good candidate. Now, I think he's just all over the place. I don't understand his thinking. I don't understand why he would break for the party just for the sake to break for the party. He's going to be the only Republican. There wasn't a single Republican in the House that voted for impeachment, and there's only going to be now one Republican senator. And if you look in the past where we've had other impeachments, we've had large numbers of people from other parties crossing over to vote. Not
0: in this case.
1: In this case, it's
0: one solitary senator, and and he basically said he feels Trump absolutely abused his power for his own gain in an election process. So that that's kind of his feeling. He's also, as we've talked about, pretty safe in his seat, and he has a pretty strong hold on his constituents. So I mean, maybe he's not worried about getting reelected like some of these other senators are. Um, okay, so let's transition a little bit right before we get to um, what happened in the vote and our reaction to that. Let's talk a little bit about the State of the Union. That was last night. Um, Trump talked a lot. Some of the highlights uh, centered around economic growth, all the great things that, that are happening in immigration and with, with our military and all the buzzwords that he used, you know, on the campaign trail. Um, but he didn't talk about impeachment. Um, I thought that was interesting. Usually he likes to gloat. I guess he doesn't want to uh, count his chickens before they hatch. But... Um, I'm sure that'll change after the vote occurs. But what did you think of the State of of the Union? What were some of the highlights?
1: The State of the Union is a prime example of having multiple purposes, which benefit you as the president getting reelected and serving the country. He is there as the president. He is speaking to the entire Congress and the entire country about the State of the Union. But no one can say he wasn't also there as a candidate for president and speaking to the people about why he should get reelected.
0: And one of the things that a lot of the, the House was talking about throughout the impeachment trial is that it's best for America to get rid of Trump and get him out of office. That's the only way we can protect the country, protect um, us, our our opinion, or how we're looked at in foreign affairs and the future of the country and the safety of the country. And I think his speech, even though he didn't talk about the impeachment, was... Trying to throw facts and, you know, the economic stuff that's going on and how, you know, uh, at 40% of the country or whatever is happy with the economic growth and some of the other things that that um, statistics show he's doing well at. I think he throws that into combat some of the things the House was arguing about at the impeachment trial that like basically he's ruining our country.
1: Right. And here he is speaking the day before the vote right, exactly. on his impeachment, and he's speaking before hundreds of people that voted to impeach him. Uh, he wasn't a very popular guy with the Democrats in the room. right? Uh, but here he is, and he's speaking. And he also is smart when it comes to the use of television. And he also used that um, when he gave the... the Presidential Medal of Freedom to right. Rush Limbaugh, right. and he had the the guy surprise his family from Afghanistan right. that first sergeant. Uh, so he, you know, he was there. He knew what he was doing. He knew how to do it. And he also has uh, statistically right now he is more popular than he's ever been. And it was the day before his impeachment.
0: Interesting how that happens sometimes. <laughs> well, it but the day
1: before his conviction or acquittal, he's already been impeached. I want to use the right phrase. Right. Yeah. So.
0: So you mentioned it before, and even after this is over, and if they vote to acquit or to impeach him, but I guess more likely if they vote to acquit, the House Democrats are talking about how they're still going to subpoena Bolton after the trial. Um, so so what does this mean? Why would they still subpoena him after he's been, why would they still subpoena Bolton if Trump's been acquitted? How does that work? How does it work as far as finding new evidence? Can they impeach him again? Is this not just kind of a workaround with the, for the balance of powers? Well, of course, they can impeach him again, and again we have the
1: same for the same thing. I don't think the same thing. They'll find something new. Okay. Uh, From the very beginning, you have a large group of House uh, members who are Democrats who have said they're going to impeach him. They're going to get rid of him from the day he got elected. I don't think that's I would think they would
0: have taken their best shot here the first time around. I also think it's very interesting that they're going to call the guy that the Senate didn't even care to hear from in this impeachment process as if he's going to be the smoking gun in a second one because they still have to convince these same senators to convict him. So it seems like a very strange angle to me. Well, again, it goes back to what is the purpose?
1: Is the purpose really uh, because we want to find out what Bolton has to say or is the purpose really, well, we want to elect a Democratic right. president?
0: Right. They want to hurt his election coming up. Right.
1: Here. And that's all this is. They do everything they can. I think that, again, the polls are showing that this didn't work well for the Democrats. Right. And it was not a good day. And I know this— goes beyond our topic, but it wasn't a good day for Democrats because in Iowa that election got so screwed up and everybody knows how uh, the uh, Democratic primary went in Iowa that altogether, uh, you know, it just wasn't a good day for the Democrats.
0: Right. So we're going to pause here and after the vote occurs, we're going to come back and kind of give our thoughts and talk about what's next in this process.
2: And we're back to talk about the results of the vote. Uh, Well, George, any surprises? Well, no surprise
1: uh, if you knew the day before that Mitt Romney was going to vote for conviction. Uh, It came out to uh, 52-48, and Mitt Romney, who ran for president as a Republican years ago, and was the devil incarnate by Democrats at the time, is now George Washington reborn because he voted with the Democrats. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing, if anybody doesn't think it's strictly partisan politics, all they have to hear is what everybody, every Democrat is saying about how great Mitt Romney is.
2: Well, let me ask a question. Why do you think that he decided to put that speech out there uh, about when he broke party lines on the first issue? I think that he somehow had to justify it. He somehow uh,
1: felt a responsibility, and, and I think anyone would, to explain why he's voting that way. I, th- I think that it just was a situation where uh, you know, Mitt Romney just th- saw things differently than everybody else, and he voted to convict. I- again, I don't understand how he could not see that this wasn't an evidentiary issue but a partisan issue, and he went to the other side.
2: What do you
1: think he has to gain? Well, he's he's pretty secure in uh, you know in Utah. I mean, Mitt Romney is going to get reelected to the Senate. So he doesn't have anything to lose. He certainly, uh, when he ran for the Senate, he had nothing really to gain. I mean, the guy had been a presidential candidate, he's been a governor, and he certainly has made plenty of money in his lifetime. So he just relishes the fact that he's an independent. And remember that when he ran, even though he ran against Trump and said all those nasty things against Trump uh, when Trump was running, uh, Trump supported him for the Senate. And I guess what a change of uh, a change of stripes. It just goes to
2: show you that in politics, you know, strange bedfellows. Uh, let me ask you this. I was thinking about this last night, and you look at it. Um, you look at the breakdown in the Senate, and you realize that the absolute vast majority of the Republicans were going to vote one way. You realize the Democrats were going to vote the other way. Yeah, there may be a couple swing votes in between, but at the end of the day, I think, at least me, that the Democrats knew that there was no way that they would actually get a conviction in the Senate.
1: They knew it, but they thought by this strategy that it would give them a foothold or an advantage in the election. The polls have shown it gone just the opposite. So I think their strategy didn't work because... Uh, Trump now has the highest popularity rating he's ever had since elected.
2: Do you think that this was a strategy on behalf of the Democrats not to impeach Trump? They knew that wasn't going to happen. But to try to manipulate some of the senatorial votes in some of those swing states or those swing districts?
1: It was all about politics. And you can see that even now, Trump was acquitted. The very next thing out of their mouths are the investigations will continue. We'll continue to go after him. We're going to subpoena Bolton. So it will never stop. And when Trump gets, uh, if he gets reelected, if he gets reelected again, it's going to be another four years of the same thing. I think America is tired of this. I think they realize that our legislative branch is not producing legislation that's going to help us, but just wasting their time.
2: I saw something on the news that said that the Democrats are going to take the statement of uh, what are those key witnesses they wanted to do Bolton. They were going to go ahead and take a statement. Procedurally, can they do that?
1: They can do anything they want. They can subpoena anybody they want for any reason. It was interesting. I saw today they asked Bolton for an affidavit so they'd have it there for the Senate vote, and Bolton refused to give them an affidavit.
2: In normal courts in Florida— When you're acquitted, it's over. Um, Jeopardy applies. They can't retry you for the same offense. Is that the same in an impeachment proceeding?
1: I don't think so. Uh, An impeachment proceeding is not a a classic judicial proceeding. I think that if new evidence came up, I think they could try again. I think they will do an investigation. I don't think they'll do another impeachment because I think they saw the strategy didn't work. But they'll do a lot more investigating and there'll be a lot more mudslinging and it will continue to be partisan politics as usual. And again, I just don't think the the people of America, I think they're tired of it.
0: So thanks, Dad and Pete, for giving your kind of thoughts on the acquittal. I wanted to give mine real quick before we end it. This one's a little bit choppier of a podcast because we recorded it over two days, but... Um, I don't know if they said it or not, but I think the vote was 53 to 47 um, for an acquittal. So actually a a majority of the Senate voted to acquit Trump and not to impeach him. It might have been 52, 48. Um, So I think that was interesting that actually they didn't even get a majority vote, let alone alone a two-thirds majority. Um, And I, I heard a few things and saw a few things on Twitter and Facebook afterwards about Trump's speech after he was acquitted and how it was nasty and they condemned him for what he said in the speech after they just spent, you know, hours and hours talking about how horrible he was. So I thought that was interesting how it's just such a joke and, and the American people have to deal with this bipartisan politics and all politicians slinging mud at all times and not really knowing who you can trust or who you should like or who you shouldn't like. And everybody's the devil if you're on this side and everybody on the other side, the devil and, I just think it's gone too far at this point and I think that this impeachment process was kind of the culmination of that. Um lastly, I saw some lawyers, some fellow lawyers on Facebook talk about how this trial was such a sham. They're embarrassed to be a lawyer, they're embarrassed with the legal profession. They almost want to stop because these proceedings were so unfair and so outside of what would happen in a real courtroom. While that's true to a certain extent, one of the things they were talking about is that so much evidence and testimony was not allowed in. I think that that's a bit of a farce since a lot of the testimony that was let in and then a lot of the testimony that was not brought in would be inadmissible in any real trial. So, I, like, what a what a person thinks someone met, meant when they said or did something is purely speculation, is not allowed in an, in an actual trial where real lawyers try the case, whether it's impeachment or not, So I I think all that is just a farce and people getting angry just to get angry. In reality, there was not enough to convict by a simple majority, let alone beyond a reasonable doubt or the preponderance of the evidence or two-thirds majority or any, any basis or any burden of proof that a prosecuting body has to meet in any of these kinds of cases, let alone there were... Almost 20 witnesses called and hundreds of thousands of documents reviewed in this trial. Okay, so one of the um, Democratic arguments was that it's a lack of evidence. We weren't able to put everything that we had in. And that's just not true. They've been trying to pull this off for three years. They put everything they had together. They took their best shot. And after shooting their shot, they missed, and that's it. And they may try again, and that's fine. And, and Trump may say something stupid, and that's fine. And, you know, both sides can continue to argue. But in reality, this was not as sham of a trial as, you know, some people are making it out to be. It is what it is, and it's over now. So this will be the last podcast, hopefully, that we do on the Trump impeachment. But if there's anything more or you guys have any questions about it, we'll be happy to answer it and do another one. As always, thanks for listening.